the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. My, oh my. What a difference 24 hours makes, huh? Good morning to you. Ten minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Thursday. Morning number 27 of the seventh month in the year of our Lord, 2023. What a difference 24 hours makes. Yesterday at this hour, we were talking about Hunter Biden appearing in court for what should be a routine five-minute plea bargain agreement and a smack of the gavel by the judge saying plea is acceptable to the court. Defendant pleads guilty on two charges of tax evasion and on uh, illegal uh, lying on a federal form to acquire a firearm uh, that he was not legally allowed to have. He gets uh, probation and a fine on one, a diversion program on the other, and, uh, and that's it. Everybody go have a nice day. 
24 hours later, yeah, things are a little bit we different. We now know that Judge Norieka is not going to accept the plea agreement. And as <laughs> we were talking about just a moment ago, it's got to do. Judge Norieka does not uh, believe uh, that the, she has questions over the constitutionality of that diversion clause uh, of the immunity that Hunter Biden would receive in this deal uh, to not prosecute on the gun charge. Uh, she is not okay with that. So the headline here is she has not accepted the plea deal. That she has not accepted the plea deal. Hunter Biden and then, then in fact, had to change his plea from guilty in exchange for a sweetheart of a deal to not guilty. And now we go forward. And why? Why did Hunter Biden have to do that? What is the deal here? Because, and why did the judge not accept the plea deal? Because they tried to slip in the, the most, the most unbelievable condition as a result of that plea agreement that you've ever heard. And that is essentially lifetime immunity from prosecution on all the other crap he did or may have done. That's what they tried to do. I don't know. I've been watching the media. I've been listening. I've been reading. And I don't know if anybody has framed it that way yet. What this deal would have given him, the poison pill, as it were, for Judge Noriega, is lifetime immunity for all of the crap he has done or may have done with his father. And considering the fact that we are just now starting to be able to peek through the door of all of the lifetime of crap that he has done with his father, um, or with his father's knowledge, or with his father's consent, maybe even his father's participation. We don't know, quite frankly, all of that yet. But considering that we're just getting a peek through the door, and we don't know everything that has been done or may have been done, the judge couldn't sign off on no prosecution, immunity from prosecution on all of the other crap. Because remember... And Hunter's in the basement with a silver spoon. Ukrainian bribes would want to be there soon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. I'll put aside your 10%, Dad. I'll always have your 10%. Remember, the Ukrainian bribe investigation is literally just getting underway with the revelation of the FD-1023 form citing... The Burisma executive as admitting and acknowledging that's exactly what was done. That they had to pay him five million per Biden in order to be able to, A, get Viktor Shokin, the Ukrainian prosecutor general, fired, the one who was looking into their company, and uh, then to try to open access to the North American market for energy. All of that is just now starting to come out. Of course, a judge cannot would not ever sign off on something like lifetime immunity. At the end of the day, that's what this was, was, was coming down to, lifetime immunity for everything you did or may have done. That's the reality. Now, there's so many responses and reactions to this. Yours is just as important as anybody else's. So I will welcome you at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. But there are so many responses and reactions to this. I want to share as many of them with you as I possibly can. The first one being from Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller claims that the Hunter Biden plea deal collapse was largely his doing. He was not going to allow the judge to give this deal without her having all of the information she needed. Listen. Stunning news today. As the Hunter Biden plea deal collapses in federal court. That's right. The sweetheart DOJ deal for Hunter Biden 
fell apart today in a federal courthouse. Stephen Miller here, president of America First Legal. Our organization has been the vanguard of the effort to hold Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, and the Biden family accountable for their many crimes against this nation. Months ago, we filed a complaint with the National Security Division at DOJ over Hunter Biden's failure to register as a foreign agent, an issue at the heart of the plea deal's implosion today. We have also sued, just days ago, Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, and Biden's Department of Justice for illegally exempting Hunter Biden from the requirement to register as a foreign agent. And we have filed a lawsuit against the National Archives. And as a result of that lawsuit, obtained damning troves of documents linking Joe Biden directly to Hunter Biden's overseas business dealings while Joe Biden was the Vice President of the United States. In every area we have been pressing forward to expose the full extent of the Biden family's corruption and the corruption in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue right in the Oval Office, and we are not going to stop. So visit AFLegal.org to get all the latest details about how we are holding the Biden family accountable for their manifest and many crimes against our republic. We will not stop. We will not yield. We will press forward, and we will get the answers the American people deserve. 100%. Stephen Miller, former, of course, senior policy advisor and speechwriter for former President Trump. Stephen Miller and uh, uh, AFLegal.org have done indeed that yeoman's work that you just heard. And yes, this is a huge part of holding the Biden family accountable. Now, let's, let's talk for a moment about what this means in terms of Joe Biden and the investigation into his role in his son's overseas business deals, the bribery allegations, the shell companies, the bank records, everything that oversight and judiciary have uncovered thus far, which again is just scratching the surface, peeking through the door. We need somebody to be able to kick the door down and get to all of it. We never would have had that opportunity had this plea deal gone through. Because if Hunter Biden was given immunity of any for any prosecution of any of the other uh, myriad crimes that he was uh, involved in already, then they would not have been able to do discovery. They would not have been able to investigate him and then see where those breadcrumbs lead. And if they lead to dad, if they lead to pops, Joe Biden, then vice president, and through many of the things currently uh, involving the current president. Now, you heard several references there to Hunter Biden as a foreign agent, registering as a foreign agent. What does that mean? Why is that important? Uh, It might not seem like something that is relevant to this. You'd be wrong. Jonathan Turley is a professor of law at George Washington University. Listen. Well, this is a big problem because this was all supposed to be scripted. It was all supposed to be easy. And now it's off script and it's anything but easy because the judge just raised the one charge that the White House most feared which is the chance that Hunter was a foreign agent. And if he was a foreign agent, the question is foreign agent for who and for what purpose? The president was that purpose. If you're influence peddling, it's influence over the president. So if you go for Farah, it's going to bring all of this stuff in, including some of these tax counts from 2014 to 2015 that the Department of Justice allowed to run, allowed the statute of limitations to expire. All of that can get bootstrapped into a Farah issue. So the whole purpose of this deal is collapsing as 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 we're watching it and it's taken washington by utter surprise i was on the hill yeah. talking with members and everyone was everybody floored. was in this is enormous 
everything is starting to fall apart for the Bidens. Everything is starting to fall apart. And oh, by the way, just to rub a little bit of salt in their self-inflicted wounds, how humiliating, how embarrassing must it be for Joe Biden and his wife, who pretty much raised this this adult reprobate, how embarrassing must it be for them as parents to watch on television um, their grown-ass son be dressed down in open court by a federal judge telling him, get a job, you bum. That kind of should have been their job. And I was wondering about that as I saw the conditions of Hunter Biden being released after that plea, plea deal fell apart yesterday and he pled not guilty. I was wondering about that anyway. What job has this 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 thing this this crackhead whoremonger uh, and that's what he is. I mean, let's just be 100% honest here. A crackhead whoremonger. What what job has he ever held? What has he ever done for a living? Has he ever worked in his life other than the jobs where they gave him bo- uh, spots on boards of directors for foreign energy companies to be uh you know, of course, he offered nothing to the energy companies, offered nothing in terms of his, his knowledge or, or expertise in the area of energy, but he offered access to the White House in the Obama administration by way of dad in the VP's office. Has he ever held an actual real job? Well, as the judge let him go yesterday pending the, uh, the trial that's now going to happen, perhaps, since this plea deal fell through, we'll see if he changes his plea in a month, he's got to go back in on August 25th, but as the conditions of, of releasing him, the judge told him, get a job, you bum. The actual term was actively seek employment. But that's get a job, you bum. Show that you are a productive member of society and not actually living off of the ill-gotten gains that you and Pops were involved in. Actively seek employment was number one. Condition number two, no alcohol. Condition number three, no drugs. Condition number four, submit to drug testing to prove number three. And number five, not possess a firearm, which he is not legally eligible to have anyway. Those are the conditions. Stop drinking, no drugs, no guns, and get a job, you bum. This is like what every father in every suburban household is telling their teenage kids, their teenage, particularly sons, who might be off on a wayward path when they find CBD vapes or they find a little little uh, thing of weed packed in their back of their school bag, you know, their uh, their backpack or something like that. You're going to get a job. You're going to stay off the weed. You're going to not drink. You're not going to be, you know, and especially if they're inner city. I talked about suburban, but generally speaking, the firearms are in the city, too. You see a lot of young teenage males brandishing firearms for street cred and clout uh, for the street and for social media. You see it all of the time. Seriously, just check out juvenile court records, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Those are all obviously available. But anyway, conditions of Hunter's release were essentially the judge telling Hunter Biden, I'm going to do what your daddy never did. Going to tell you to get a job, you bum. Don't smoke. Don't drink. We're going to drug test you if we have to. And no firearms. He's a grown man. That's the reality of the situation. 
So this is extraordinary. What happened yesterday is extraordinary, and it is just great news. It should be, I know it isn't, to the Democrats and those trying to allow the um, first family of crime, otherwise known as the Biden family, um, this is, of course, terrible news to them, but this should be good news to all Americans actually seeking accountability and actually seeking a single-tiered system of justice. People who are sick and tired of the two-tiered system of justice where there is one uh, justice system for you and me and everybody else, and there is a different one for the politically elite, the politically connected, the politically bidened. And that's the reality of this situation. It is good news for the, the American people that we're going to get to the bottom of this. Now, I will tell you point blank. If full investigations are conducted by oversight, by judiciary, if a special counsel is appointed, if there are hearings, if full investigations are conducted that are completely not obstructed by the Department of Justice and the Attorney General or the FBI, if they allow full investigations to be done, and it comes to find, look, there's reasonable explanations for all of these, A, B, and C, all the way through Z and starting the alphabet over again, because I kind of think that's how many crimes there are. Um, if, if that's what they find out, then fine. But those investigations must happen, and they must be unobstructed by the Department of Justice. And now there's a chance that that is going to happen. This was a big, big moment yesterday for all of us. And we're going to talk more about it as the program goes on. Now, we are also loaded up with guests. Dr. Piper's coming up at 1010. And coming up here in uh, just about 10 minutes, we're going to dive more headlong into issue one here in the state of Ohio in the August 8th special election. Uh, we're going to talk to the treasurer of the state, Robert Sprague, who is in full support of voting yes on issue one. We're going to talk about that when we come back to come back after a short time out. That short time out will follow our Pledge of Allegiance. Patriots, stand, face your flag. Let's hit this. Um, put your hand on your heart. If you are a supporter of the first family of crime and thus a two-tiered system of justice, then you don't believe in the justice system. And if you don't believe in the justice system, you don't believe in the country. If you don't believe in the country, then you certainly don't want to pledge your allegiance to its flag. You can take a knee instead next to that ex-quarterback over there. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice. The mayor of Cleveland may have just galvanized the yes on issue one movement by telling everybody to vote no on it. I will explain next. Always right radio, AM 1420, the answer. All right, it's 930 here. I want you to listen to this. It's only 15 seconds long. Mayor Justin Bibb of the city of Cleveland may have just galvanized the yes on Ohio issue one movement by telling everybody to vote no. How? Listen for yourself. We can use our real political power to change the the culture of guns in this state. It starts by voting no on issue one, by the way, uh, to make sure we can maybe put a ballot measure on our state constitution to have common sense gun reform. There it is. They talked about this during the debate two nights ago. Frank LaRose talked about it, and people thought he was crazy that they're coming for our guns if we don't raise the threshold to change the Ohio Constitution. They are. Justin Bibb just said it. 
Vote no so it's a simple 50% plus one majority. Then we can put a ballot initiative to change the Ohio Constitution, to go around the legislature and go to the Ohio Constitution to ban guns or to restrict gun ownership and our Second Amendment rights. Thank you, Justin Bibb. We'll take that assist, and we'll talk to uh, Treasurer Robert Sprague about it next. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. 937, thanks for being with us this morning. Issue one is very, very simple. Um, Right now we have a very low threshold to change our state constitution. These special interest groups are coming in from outside of our state and they're using this low threshold, which right now is at 50%, uh, to spend tens of millions of dollars to convince the people of Ohio for various things in their state constitution, the first of which is is going to be an abomination of, of an abortion measure. That is the treasurer of the great state of Ohio, Robert Sprague, talking to Ohio Right to Life on behalf of Issue 1. And Treasurer Sprague joins us now to go more in-depth right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Mr. Treasurer, good to have you back on our program. How are you? Uh, thanks, Bob. I'm doing great. Well, that's good to hear. Um, how are you feeling right now? Uh, we're two weeks plus into early voting. Uh, the turnout has been much, much greater than anybody anticipated, just in terms of Board of Elections visits by voters and by absentee ballots. Uh, we're not even there toward August 8th yet. What is your feeling about um, about how the early voting process is going? I think it's going very well. I think both sides understand that this is a turnout election, uh, that their vote has to get out. Uh, nobody is going to arrive at the polling place, I don't believe, on Election Day or even a week before being uncertain as to where they are on Issue 1. Um, you know, I'm definitely a yes vote on Issue 1. I would like to see us protect the Constitution so that uh, special interest groups can't come from outside our state, spend tens of millions of dollars, uh, and convince just a slight majority to put their special interest in the Ohio Constitution. I would like to see this threshold for changing the Ohio Constitution raised from 50% to 60%. And I think that, you know, it's very clear that uh, everybody going to the polls, and I think that people are interested in this topic because it affects our founding document, um, that they will have their mind made up by the time they arrive at the polling place. Key words there, Treasurer Sprague, our founding document, and that is so very, very important. Why do you think it is so hard for those who are opposed to Issue 1 to understand the difference between our founding document and our, our Ohio Revised Code? Because that's where the things that they are pushing for right now belong. They belong in the legislative process trying to change the Revised Code, not the document that founded the state. Well, I think that, uh, I think that you know the people that oppose Issue 1 understand full well what they're doing. They want to keep the threshold low uh, because this, at, this is an advantage to them. They clearly want to keep the threshold because they want these special interest groups that are raising all this dark money to be able to put their thing in the Ohio Constitution. And so we heard, I heard a news clip uh, from you about uh, talking that this is eventually um, gun rights will be uh, restricted in the Ohio Constitution. They're going to bring that and they're going to put that special interest and try to take away Second Amendment rights within the state of Ohio. So that's coming down the pipe. Uh, there's a lot of other issues. They've talked about 
taking away qualified immunity for our police officers, as if our police officers, you know, need another uh, reason, you know, to to not, uh, you know, to not be part of the police force. It's like we just, we, you know, we hit them at every opportunity. It's just unbelievable. And uh, somebody needs to stick up for them, and yet they want to take away the qualified immunity through a constitutional amendment. This is coming down the, the pike. They're going to try to raise the minimum wage. That's going to force small businesses out of business uh, in every community around the state of Ohio. So there are the other, these other things, and they make a lot of money on these campaigns. Let's tell the truth. Let's tell the truth. I mean, they're making huge campaign fees. This is a business model for these special interest groups. They go and they raise the money on the coast, and then they come into our state because we have such a low threshold. They spend all this money, and they, they tell us what we need in our Constitution. And I can just tell you, you know, I'm born and bred in Ohio. My family lives here. I'm raising my kids here. Um, and I, I don't need anybody coming from outside the state to tell me what I need in my Constitution. <laughs> Well, that's a great point, and I'm glad you listed so many of those other issues, and I've got another one that we'll talk about in a moment, uh, because the left is trying to, and those who oppose Issue 1, Treasurer Robert Sprague, is trying to say that this is all about abortion. The only reason we want to raise the threshold now in August with a special election is because of what's coming in November, and they believe they will win with a 50%-plus majority uh, uh, to uh, enshrine the most radical abortion measure, I think, in the country into our Constitution, not to mention the stripping of parental rights over uh, other other uh, life-altering decisions their kids might make with respect to changing their sex. So can you speak to that? It is important. Uh, you know, I mean, Frank LaRose, at a speech, you know, he's being condemned and criticized for saying 100% it's about abortion. That doesn't mean it is only 100% about abortion. It means 100% it absolutely is about abortion, but it's about so much more, including the things you just listed. How do you convince people this isn't just about the the uh, ballot measure that's going to be there in November? Well, I, don't, I think it's about all those things. I think it is about the ballot measure in November and beyond. It's about all this dark money coming into our state and trying to change the minds of the people of Ohio to enshrine their agenda, their special interest, whatever you want to call it, in the Ohio Constitution. And because the threshold's so low at 50%, they're able to do that. Um, and so, you know, so we talked about the things that are coming down the pike. The thing that's most immediate is uh, the parental rights issue and abortion. Uh, they are going. The ACLU and Planned Parenthood are going to spend $35 million, most of it dark money from outside of the state of Ohio, uh, to put this ballot measure on in November. It will. They will attempt to legalize abortion up to the point of birth. That is what that language does. And by the way, only a third of a, uh, in the third trimester, only 19% of Americans even support abortion in the third trimester. So that's going to be. I think they'll have a difficult time convincing people to put that in the Ohio Constitution. And then the second thing it does is it clearly says that the state shall not interfere. And it goes on to say that with an individual's right to make their own reproductive decisions, including but not limited to, and then it talks about pregnancy and fertility. Mm-hmm. But when you say including but not limited to, and you're going to make an individual gets to make their own reproductive decisions, that means that uh, the children in the state of Ohio, who are individuals under the Constitution, um, will uh, be able to, uh, you know, be able to go to a doctor in your community without you as a parent knowing about it, without your consent. You would be unable to prevent your child from going to see that doctor. They can sit across 
uh, at a very young age from a doctor and a white coat that can tell them that they should have a, a gender-changing uh, drug and mm-hmm. procedure, and your, your child uh, will get that, and you will be unable to stop it as a parent here in the state of Ohio. That's what that language does in the Ohio Constitution. It, it's the, an the abomination, other, the other side says, I think, Mr. and it's Mr. a problem. Treasure. Yeah, Mr. Treasurer, the other the other side says, well, there's no there's no medical centers or hospitals or doctors even in the state of Ohio that would perform these uh, procedures on children. They would never do this on minors without their parental consent. In fact, some of them have come out and said so. Some of the uh, medical providers, and and I'm thinking to myself, well, if that's true, then why didn't you put it in the language of that bill? Why why or that that measure that ballot initiative? Why doesn't say what doesn't it say uh reproductive and uh and fertility decisions of people over the age of 18. They said individuals and left age out of it specifically so they didn't have to guarantee that this would not happen to minors in our state. Well, the language is extremely intentional. They clearly use the term individual. They could have said adult. Yeah, or or like I said, or put why, a number on why over the age put, of 18. Why do they put the term individual in there? It's because this is about kids. This is about kids and the transgender movement. And the, the language is intentionally written to, to, to not, not just allow for this, but to force it uh, onto parents, because that's what they believe. So, so this is a special interest group coming from outside the state. They're going to try to put this stuff in our Constitution, and it will change the way you, uh, your family, uh, it, it, the, the way that your family, the rights that your family has in the state of Ohio, because it's in the state constitution. One hundred percent. That's exactly right. We're talking to the Ohio Treasurer Robert Sprague uh, in support of Issue One on August eighth. Treasurer Sprague, you mentioned a few of the things that uh, the special, uh, you know, uh, dark money forces outside of the state are going to use uh, or try to uh, change here in the state of Ohio by way of our constitution. We, you know, we've talked. A lot of people have talked about some of them as well: qualified immunity, you know, uh, recreational marijuana, uh, raising the minimum wage, which which would be a business killer for so many. But let's talk about guns. Um, you probably heard on the debate stage on uh, uh, Tuesday night, uh, uh, Secretary of State LaRose and Mike Gunnadakis talked about coming after uh, our Second Amendment rights. And it was poo-pooed by the left all over the state. There's nobody coming for your Second Amendment rights by way of a constitutional amendment. Well, I want to play for you something you probably heard last night. This is from the city of the uh, mayor of the city of Cleveland, Justin um, Bibb. Listen to this. We can use our real political power to change the, the culture of guns in this state. It starts by voting no on issue one, by the way, uh, to make sure we can maybe put a ballot measure on our state constitution to have common sense gun reform. To maybe put a uh, ballot measure in our state constitution for common sense gun reform. How do you react to that, Mr. Treasurer? Well, I mean, uh, it doesn't surprise me one bit. I'm not surprised a single bit. I mean, uh, we all, everybody in, in you know that's in Columbus understands that this is the game plan for the left uh, coming on down the pike, and 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 they're, they're they've just gone way too far, um, you know. They know they don't want this to, to, to get out. They don't want people to know about it because they know that if people, uh, if they understood that, that they're going to try to change and, and restrict um, and take away uh, Ohioans' Second Amendment rights in the Ohio Constitution, that uh, people would rise up and vote against um, and, and vote against that, and they would vote for 
raising this amendment uh, process from 50% to 60% for the Ohio Constitution. So they want to keep that a secret. They don't want to talk about it, but it's coming. I mean, it clearly is coming. This is the game plan. Uh, you're seeing it right now with this November ballot issue, and this is going to be the game plan on a go-forward basis for, for the left. Last question for you this morning, uh, Treasurer Robert Sprague. You talked multiple times in our chat so far about uh, dark money coming in from out of state to try to change our Constitution as part of a larger national agenda of of a radical left uh, in this country. How do you respond to the critics who say, hey, you people who support Issue 1 are hypocrites. Tell me about Dick Uline. Dick Uline is a very wealthy billionaire, in fact, uh, a donor from Illinois who has put money into the Yes on Issue 1 campaign here. So we're saying dark money from out of state. They're saying you've got your own dark money from out of state. How do we respond? How do you respond? Well, first of all, I'd say that Dick Uline didn't come up with an idea to try to modify uh, the Ohio Constitution. I mean, he simply, I think, is um, uh, the way that I and maybe I'm wrong about this. I don't know. But I think that he simply... Uh, you know, is pro-life. So I think that, that really it's in response to this other, uh, you know, amendment that's being offered that he's interested in, if he is, I don't know if that's true, interested in contributing money to the effort. But uh, look, I think that it's easy. They're throwing up anything on the wall to try to make it stick, to make this thing unpalatable. And that tells me that if you go to people and you say, look, this issue is about raising uh, the threshold to approve constitutional amendments in the state of Ohio from 50% to 60%, uh, that, that that holds very well. Because I think people understand, you know, people in Colorado, it takes 55% to modify their state constitution. In Florida, it takes 60% to modify or, or amend their state constitution. In New Hampshire, the live free or die state, it takes 66% to modify their constitution. So, uh, and of course, the United States Constitution requires two-thirds of both chambers plus three-fourths of the legislatures to approve any change in the United States Constitution. So we are the outlier by having this low threshold. They love that because they want to come in, spend this money, make tons of money on the campaign fees, and uh, convince us to change our Constitution. Yeah, and, and the one addition to that is in 32 states, you have zero chance of amending the Constitution with a citizen-initiated uh, b- uh, ballot initiative. This is the reality of it. 32 states don't allow you anything at all. So Ohio is still giving access to the people by way of you know petition uh, petitioning uh, initiatives. You can go through the legislature. You can get these things on ballots. You just have to do it with that process. And if you do want to do it this way, it better involve a significant majority of Ohioans. Make every county contribute to the effort to get it onto the ballot and then require a robust 60 percent which is to me treasurer sprague minimal i think it ought to be at least two-thirds i'm in the 66 percent camp but i'll take 60 over 50 any day because this would indeed affect all ohioans not just half ohioans if we change our constitution absolutely and i think it's it's a, it's a return to this principle that instead of having these things that divide us these policy items in the Ohio Constitution. Instead, our Constitution in the state of Ohio should be a governing document that encompasses and only contains those principles that a broad majority of us agree on. And it it should be a governing document that tells the state the way our government works, uh, not individual policy items that belong in law. 
And so, uh, you know, I think it's a return to that fundamental principle of how we govern ourselves. Treasurer Robert Sprague joining us this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. He is part of a clean sweep of Ohio state officials in support of Issue 1, voting yes on August 8th, literally everyone. Uh, and we certainly appreciate your leadership and your participation in this. Keep up the great work over the course of the next couple of weeks until we get to August 8th, and we do protect and pre- preserve our Constitution with that 60% threshold. Treasurer Sprague, thank you so much. Great. Thank you, Bob. All right, have a great day, sir. It's 9.53. We'll get a timeout and come back on Always Right Radio. Okay, 9.56. I've got time for a call or two here before the top of the hour when we head to uh, Dr. Everett Piper for the latest on the culture wars in which we find ourselves. Uh, Charlie in Brownhill. Charlie, good morning. Go right ahead. Hey, Bob. Thanks for taking the call. You You're talking about this this, uh, this decision by the judge yesterday. And I'm looking, I go, there's no way Hunter would take anything less than 100% uh, you know, getting off on all these charges because he's got a dad that's going to ace in the hole. He's going to pardon him. And then what's going to happen, you know, Biden's going to go down and Kamala becomes the president and she pardons him. So they're both going to get pardoned. There won't be justice, but, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the Nixon-Ford game plan. What do you well, think? The the end the end game here isn't to lock up Hunter Biden. The end game here is to get to the bottom of what he and his father were interested were were, were working on together that they had a mutual interest in, which is that bribery scheme, uh, potentially from three different countries. Um, and the the intent is to get Joe Biden. Joe Biden was the corrupt vice president selling access. Joe Biden is the corrupt current president covering it all up through his DOJ and his attorney general. So you know the the deal here isn't to get Hunter; it's to get to Joe. And the reality is that was a huge step yesterday because if they had given this plea deal to hunter biden it closes the investigation of the tax uh issue and the gun issue and then and then according to what we've learned uh it provided immunity for him from future prosecutions of past crimes and that means no more investigation of him and therefore we can't turn over all of the rocks that lead us to joe now we still can now will either one of them serve time of course not probably not almost certainly not but can we at least expose a corrupt perhaps the most corrupt man to ever hold office in either the vice presidency or the presidency and uh, and 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 make that uh make his party pay for that yes we can because that's in the best interest of the american people yeah i just think the deal's priority made camilla probably the only reason she got the vice president is she guaranteed that if anything went wrong she would pardon biden so yeah. you know he's going to get pardoned and she'll be the president and she'll be lame duck and she'll be beat by trump but that's what's probably going to come. That's my prediction anyway. Yeah, don't forget, by the way, she's not Kamala, which rhymes with capitalist. She's Kamala, which rhymes with communist, just to make sure that that's clear, my brother. Thank you, Charlie. Appreciate the call. It's uh, 9.59. We're going to take a time out. We're going to get to uh, Dr. Everett Piper. I want more reactions from you to yesterday's bombshell Hunter Biden plea deal news. Uh, I want you to download, by the way, the Hunters in the Basement uh, song. It's never been more prescient. It's never been more timely. It's the perfect parody to what is happening in real life right now with Hunter and his father. Yes, indeed, Hunter has grown up just like the old man. Uh, we'll take a time out here. We'll come back. Dr. Piper next. AM 1420, The Answer.
You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two. It's nine minutes past 10 o'clock on this Thursday, the 27th morning of the seventh month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks to Treasurer Robert Sprague, shining a great big spotlight on all the reasons why we need to support issue number one on August 8th. And again, don't wait until the two-minute warning, which is Election Day. Vote now. Get get a lead in the uh, in the second quarter. We're still in the second quarter, about to begin the third quarter. I guess we have begun the third quarter now. I take that back of this uh, very important game. Uh, go vote early at your Board of Elections. Go vote early or vote absentee, but make sure that you get that vote in and counted um, before Election Day. Because on Election Day, you just might have something come up that you didn't think was going to come up. Oh, my gosh, I have a flat. Oh, my gosh, uh, the car won't start. Oh, my gosh, I got called in for overtime. I can't make it to vote after all. Don't play those games. Vote yes on issue one and get it done now. Let's bring in Dr. Everett Piper as we do each and every Thursday at this hour. One of our uh, favorite guests, one of our leaders in the culture war, Dr. Piper, is a past university president, which is going to be very important today when we talk about his most recent column, which he writes for the Washington Times. He is also a podcast slash radio host at uh, The Rebellion, which you can uh, download it wherever you get your podcasts. And he is also a commissioner in his uh, native Oklahoma, joining us now from Osage County. Good morning, Dr. Piper. Good to have you. Thanks again, Bob. Always, you know, always a good time to join you. So we're looking back to your years as a president of a, a university in Oklahoma, Oklahoma Wesleyan University. I cannot believe, by the way, as you recount in this week's column, that it has been eight years since that column ran, or the the I'm sorry, it's we call it column. The letter ran that you wrote to your students at Oklahoma Wesleyan, which turned into a best-selling book, not a daycare. Doctor Piper, I can't believe we've been talking because I I had you on right after that, I think, uh, uh, very quickly. So we've been talking for a very long time now. So we're looking back at that, and uh, hard to believe that eight years later, things are probably worse than they were at the time when you needed to remind everybody that you're not in a daycare, you're at a university. So you wrote about that this this week, particularly in light of the Gallup poll, showing, showing that only 36% of Americans think that colleges and universities have value. 36% of Americans have trust or confidence in them, we haven't gotten better in eight years. We've gotten worse. Tell us more. Well, often our conversation on Thursday spurs me to think more deeply about something that we might have just skipped across. Mm-hmm. And last week we did talk about these numbers. That A uh, recent poll, Gallup poll, shows that 36%, only 36% of the American people have a high degree or even a marginal degree of confidence in higher education. So those Americans that have confidence either at an average level or a high level. And higher education is only 36% right now. Well, it struck me after we talked last week that if you go back to their benchmark, which was 2015, Gallup's benchmark, where they say it was 57% in 2015 and it's only 36% now, it struck me, well, it was 2015 when the not a daycare story broke. It's that year that I decided to challenge my students at Oklahoma Wesleyan University because I was disturbed with the Snowflake Rebellion. I had had it with this call for trigger warnings and this talk of microaggressions and this constant whining for a safe space 
on a college campus where you could be protected from a conversation or ideas that you didn't like. It was in 2015 that I confronted that, and I basically told my students, as we all know, that if you want to be coddled rather than confronted, if you want to feel comfortable in your ignorance rather than to be challenged to think critically, then you need to go someplace else because I'm not going to do that at my school. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to confront you. Discomfort is a good thing. You're 18 years old. You know nothing by definition. You're here because you need an education, and we're not going to give you a safe space. We're going to give you a space that's challenging, a space that causes some dissonance in your mind and heart and soul that causes you to mature. And then I concluded, as we all know, we've talked about it a dozen times over, I concluded by saying, my land, this is a university, it's not a daycare. And I didn't think anybody would read it, other than maybe a few of my students and a few parents and maybe a few community members, but Glenn Beck got a hold of that article and posted it on his Facebook page, and that primed the pump, and then it was Drudge and Dreher and O'Reilly and Tucker Carlson and Megyn Kelly and even newspapers in Great Britain were covering the story about the uh, small college president in Oklahoma who called out his students and told them to grow up. So that was 2015. And you just said, in leading into this particular commentary, things have changed, and they haven't changed for the better. They've gotten a lot worse. There was a 57% confidence rating in 2015 when I wrote that article, and it's only 36% now. Well, what happened? I would argue that since 2015, We've doubled down on dumb. And when I say we, I mean the academy, the ivory tower, college presidents and professors have just continued to go down this crazy path of calling for safe spaces, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and all of this nonsense, critical race theory, LGBTQIA, all of the lunacy of the alphabet agenda has just been doubling down on dumb to the point where Students that are 17, 18 years old now think they have the authority to scream, literally scream and whine and cry and stomp their feet. This, and this is not hyperbole. This is what they do. We've seen the videos. Simply because they don't like Ben Shapiro being on their campus or uh, Dennis Prager being on their campus or you or me being invited to speak on their campus. They won't listen to the challenge of a conservative idea. They'll just shout it down. And there's a reason that only 36% of Americans have confidence in higher education. And the reason is they shouldn't. They shouldn't have confidence in it because we've doubled down on lies. Men can be women. Women can be men. If I feel like you offended me, then it's a fact. It doesn't matter what reality is. And we deny science. We deny reality. It's ultimate denial. And why in the world would you want to mortgage the farm to send your kid off to a school that's going to teach that nonsense. As a former college president, I'm actually at the point where I'm advising parents to think twice before they send their kids off to a college or university because it's ridiculous to get them indoctrinated with that nonsense and have 100000 150000 in debt at the end of the day to pay for it. We need to tap the brakes. And I said last week on your show, I agree with Mike Rowe. I agree with Dave Ramsey. I agree with others who are saying, Tucker Carlson says it. Is higher education really worth it today? And there's a reason why only 36% of the population is saying yes. And it's because of everything I just summarized. You know what's remarkable is you you pointed out that, look, if you're looking for you know a, a daycare, again, to, to paraphrase it, 
Um, there are plenty of those around the country. There are colleges and universities that will allow you to do that stuff. This isn't one of them. It's almost as if the colleges and universities responded to your article, or to your letter, rather, that you wrote to your students that was picked up by all of those conservative publications, radio hosts, and so on and so forth. It's almost as if they looked at it and said, doggone right there are. We're one of them. And, and over the last eight years, they have said, we are going to create daycares. Rather than taking the lead from your message and saying, yeah, we need to return to you know what we're supposed to be, which is an institution of learning, educating the uneducated, these 18-year-olds, as you write, by their, by their very definition, know nothing. Uh, they need an education. We have to follow the lead that this particular university president has set. And instead, they said, yeah, we need to be daycares. Over eight years, they have become daycares. They have allowed the safe spaces. You wrote doubling down on lies, like sponsoring drag queen story hours, not, uh, men participating in women's sports, the Marxism of Black Lives Matter, all the things you wrote in this article. Um, they've kind of said, yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do. This guy called us all daycare centers except for schools like his. Let's, let's live up to that, uh, to that, to that label. That's exactly what they've done over the last eight years. And those schools are failing. Um, they'll they'll try to deny it, but you look at the University of Missouri. It was one of the schools at the forefront of this whining and complaining. It was one of the featured stories back in 2015. Um, they had a dramatic decline in enrollment. They had to mothball dormitories as the result of losing students. Evergreen State University up in Oregon, they lost massive amounts of students, and they lost revenue as a result. So don't let them tell you that they're succeeding by doing this. They're not. The only reason that these schools continue to exist is because your tax dollars are propping them up. It's not because parents or students want to pay the tuition. It's because of government support and government largesse. However, I'll end on a positive note, and I'm not getting paid to do this, and you didn't ask me to do it, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you the answer. When parents hear me rant about this and they say, well, what are we supposed to do? Is there any college left? Is there any institution you'd recommend? And I say, yeah, a handful. And I literally can't think of more than a handful. Hillsdale College is one of them. You can trust it. They are what they claim to be. They stand in the face of this nonsense, and they say no. They believe in the Constitution. They're patriotic. It's an excellent classical education. There's a small school in Moscow, Idaho, called New St. Andrews University. It is standing in the face of this nonsense and saying no. In your own backyard, Cedarville College is a relatively good school, and I would consider people to look at Cedarville. Um, College of the Ozarks, Hard Work University is its nickname, down in Branson, Missouri. That's another school you ought to look at. There is a handful of schools left that you can trust, but if you get outside of that particular group of schools, oh, there might be another one or two that I'm not thinking of right now. I, I, would, I would add Grove I would City to your list. Pardon yeah, me? I, I would add Grove City to your list, Grove City okay, College in Pennsylvania. Go. That's another really good one. I think it's right in the same vein as the ones that you're discussing. I apologize. Go ahead. No, no, that's that's good enough. I, I, again, I'm not claiming my list is all inclusive, but you you can think of one that I didn't mention, and you probably can't think of many others. And I think that's the point. Um, send your kids to those schools, but I would seriously tap the brakes a bit before I send them off to any other school, private or public, because the shame of it is, and maybe we'll get into this after the break. The shame of it is, many Christian colleges are buying into the rainbow agenda. Many Christian colleges have departments of uh, uh, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. They're hiring a vice president. They're adding to their administrative overhead, using your money, wasting your money to pay for this Marxist indoctrination. 
just because they're Christian doesn't mean you should trust it. Do your homework at what's going on. Very well said. Dr. Piper, let's take that break now so that we can come back and we're going to address a couple of other issues, uh, including are we facing, are we maybe at the precipice of, of, of facing another uh, another massive worldwide lockdown because of fear-mongering? We're going to talk about that, but we're also going to talk uh, about Ask Dr. E and about these Christian colleges and DEI. You've talked about it already a little bit. We'll go much more in-depth on that when we return. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1023 now. Let's continue our conversation with Dr. Everett Piper. Uh, Dr. Piper asked Dr. E in the Washington Times this week, very important and obviously tied uh, to what we just discussed about the state of colleges and the confidence level that parents and Americans have in in the uh, college and university system today. Dear Dr. E, I have noticed recently that many Christian colleges have joined their secular counterparts in touting diversity, equity, and inclusion. The inference seems to be that DEI is a natural outcome of the gospel and should be embraced enthusiastically by the church. Can you comment on this? Something seems odd here, but I just can't seem to put my finger on it. Concerned brother from flyover country. Dr. Piper, take it away. Well, I'm going to be brief. Uh, I don't have time to cover all of the reasons why I say the Church, Christians, should not embrace DEI, because I believe that it is the antithesis of the Gospel. So here are just a couple reasons that I cite. Well, first, DEI, and I know you reversed the acronym there, you call it D-I-E, because it's death, die. I actually continue to use DEI because of a person, a a left-wing House of Representatives member here in Oklahoma who was defending it, and actually played off of DEI as deity, saying that DEI is God. And really, that's what they've made it. They've made it a God unto themselves. And this woman actually admitted it, and it went national in the news. Anyway, DEI, number one, is driven by dividing rather than uniting. And that's the opposite of the gospel. DEI is grounded in us against them, you against me, blacks against whites, the 99% against the one. You get it. It's textbook balkanization. It's almost like they'd rather call higher education diversity rather than a university. So it's, a, it's, it's the Marxist conflict. It's critical theory to the extreme, and this is not the gospel. Second, DEI is predicated on blame. It's always your fault. It's never my fault. DEI always tells people to look out the window and blame everybody they see out there rather than look in the mirror and take personal responsibility. Another reason why the Christians and the church should disavow DEI is it's racist. How can you argue differently? It categorizes people by the color of their skin rather than judging them by the content of their character. It's the opposite of MLK's dream. It's Karl Marx's nightmare. And another reason here, it's the opposite of equality. Equity is not equality. Equity calls for top-down redistribution rather than treating people equal and giving them opportunities on an equal level playing field to succeed. DEI actually tips the playing field so that somebody has to run uphill all the time. And I go on and on, but I'll stop with this one. For Christians, you should recognize that DEI actually encourages us to break one of the Ten Commandments. That one of the Ten Commandments is what? Thou shalt not covet. Well, if DEI is anything, it's encouraging you to covet. You're looking at other people and saying, they have something that I want. They should get less of it. I want more of it. That is coveting. So how can the church embrace that? 
You know, I go on and on and on, but I basically say at the end of my column, Bob, that DEI is the opposite of the gospel. It's philosophical, it's theological, it's ontological garbage, and it should be thrown out and trampled underfoot by anyone who claims to be a part of the body of Christ. I love what you did toward the end of the column, too, you know, especially, especially referring to the DEI, uh, that the individuals who say it's, you know, it's, it's a deity. Um, you took DEI, which you cannot spell the word denial without. D-E-N-I-A-L. And DEI is about denial, denying science, denying reality, denying, denying sin, and so forth. So you're spot on about it. It's a great column. I want everybody to make sure they read that one in the Washington Times. Uh, ask Dr. E this week. Now, Dr. E, real quick. We've got about three minutes left for this. Um, a report, and thank you for sharing this with me. I had not seen it. <clears throat> a report from the World Health Organization on a case of MERS Cove or COV, uh, which is uh, um, a, a coronavirus that was first identified in the Middle East in 2012. A new case has been discovered. Somebody tested positive, and the WHO quote is reemphasizing the importance of strong surveillance end quote for acute respiratory infections. You have the worst fears about this, don't you? I do, but before I say what, before I act like a prophet, because I'm going to, I'm going to go on record here. You're going to say to me in the near future, whether it be a year or what, I don't know. You're going to say, you nailed it. You called it. And I, I pray I'm wrong, but I just don't see any solution other than just God's grace protecting us from this nonsense. Let me say this positive though. This disease has been around since 2012. There have been a number of cases, I think just shy of 3,000 cases that have been reported around the world, and there has been no pandemic, okay? So calm down. It's not necessarily going to kill us all. However, neither would COVID-19 have killed us all. The survival rate for COVID-19 was 99.5%. I kept saying that over and over again during the COVID pandemic. 99% plus of us are going to be fine. We'll we'll be ill, but we're going to be okay. Their survival rate is 99.5%. I may be off a slight slight bit there, but that's about what it was. And I said then, what, what will we do if we bowed the knee to big government, to big brother, to Joe Biden, if we bowed the knee to Gavin Newsom and Gretchen Whitmer as quickly as we did, and allowed them to take away our constitutional freedoms just because there was a disease that existed that had a 99-point-something percent survival rate. What in the world will we do in the case of another disease where it's 80% or if it's 70%? Well, here you go. The survival rate for this particular disease, this MERS variant of COVID, Mm -hmm. is only 65 percent, 35 percent mortality rate. Well, if this thing gets out and the government starts scaring the tar out of all of us, what will we do? Will we bow the knee? Will we give away all of our freedoms when they threaten martial law and they put the National Guard in our streets and they tell you you'll go to jail if you leave your house? You think it won't happen? If I would have said this in 2018, 19, you guys would have thought I was nuts. But I think everybody listening right now recognizes this could happen. 
You're 100% right. And I, I, I will absolutely say to you, you nailed it when this happens, because I agree with you. If this grows and spreads and they do what they have done already now and they have already seen exactly how much power they can exert and, con- uh, and control over people uh, in the name of fear and in the name of public health and fear-mongering, if we've already seen the level, like you say, with 99.5% survival, this will be so much worse, and you will have nailed it. I pray to God for his providential uh, you know, uh, uh, intervention here and and that that it does not happen but i think you are right on the money you're right over the target dr everett piper thank you uh appreciate you all always sir we'll talk to you again next week all right questions bye-bye follow dr piper on uh twitter dr everett piper on twitter it's a tremendous follow you will also read all of his columns he writes two columns a week for the washington times you'll get those right in your feed your uh, your twitter feed if you follow dr everett piper it's 10 31 we'll get news and come right back Spreading the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always write radio with Bob France and the answer. Okay, it's 1038. Thanks so much for being with us. Wow, we have uh, just been packed today with extraordinarily important information and issues. And here's another one. We haven't talked for a few days about January 6th. We haven't talked about the political prisoners. And I want to be very clear. I know everybody who supports the political prisoners, Americans whose rights have been violated without giving them their, uh, granting them the right to a speedy trial, without being treated fairly in terms of their pretrial detention. Um, I know everyone who supports these individuals is not speaking for all or about all of those who did things uh, who were swept up in January 6th. There are some people who committed crimes like assaulting police officers, some people who committed serious property crimes. Those individuals should be punished within the bounds of the law. Others who have been held um, unfairly, who have been targeted, treated, tried, and sentenced unfairly, different story altogether. They need our help, and we have, uh, we've been doing a little bit of work. We've been doing a lot of work, quite frankly, on behalf of many of these individuals. And joining me now are two people who are working very, very hard to support a Northeast Ohioan who has been swept up in this as well. Trevor Kane is the latest person from our area to be arrested, uh, and he is being is going to be tried and sentenced, and um, he needs our support. He needs our support for legal fees and for as much noise as we can possibly make with our elected representatives at the federal level, our members of Congress, to try to bring some sort of justice to this situation. So let me welcome back to our program for the first time in a little bit is Tom Hack. Uh, He's executive director of Free Ohio Now, and he's joined by Jenny Siraki. Both of them are working very hard on a fundraiser that is coming up uh, this Friday, tomorrow, um, to raise funds to help Trevor Kane. Tom, thank you for coming back on our program. How are you? Bob, thanks very much for the invitation, and, and I'm doing great. Jenny Siraki, always a pleasure to talk with you as well. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, Bob. How are you? Doing well. I wish we were talking about something a little bit less serious as what is being done to Trevor Kane. Um, I've talked to Tom Zawistowski about this before. He is another uh, patriot who, through the We the People Convention, has been working very, very hard on behalf of Trevor Kane. Uh, let's, Tom, start with you and give us a little bit of a background on what um, Trevor Kane is accused of and what he was arrested for. 
Sure, uh, Bob, and, and thanks very much. And and so during the run-up to, to January 6th, a number of people in Northeast Ohio uh, got together and supported one another in having a bus trip to 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 participate in the in the J six really peaceful demonstration, right? We we were there to to voice our concerns about what happened on the during the the November of twenty twenty election, and and we didn't think things were right. And so so what happened is we had about six buses that that left North, Northeast Ohio. It was a our group it was a day trip. We literally got together very early in the morning on on the sixth, and we came back very early in the morning on 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 the seventh. And and we were there to to support President Trump and to to voice our concerns about what was going on. As as we all know, the the day turned into a day of chaos. Um, and if you've been listening to the news, you you know that that much of that chaos was was orchestrated by by actors that I believe work for the federal government, whether they you know DHS, FBI, uh, the Capitol Hill Police, and others. They they played a role in creating the the chaos of the day. And in the in the the mix of that, I think Trevor King got got kind of caught up in it. He was he was there. He was with us. We all split up. We all traveled independently uh, once we were there. Uh, but but Trevor, in essence, was there's a door open to the Capitol. Uh, there was a there was manned by Capitol police. They were letting people in. Trevor went in. You know, he was curious as to what was going on, and uh, he traveled through through the public areas of the of the Capitol. Uh, he sang some patriotic songs, observed what was going on, was there approximately 30 minutes, and, and then he departed, right? So yeah. it was a, it was, he was there, he was peaceful, and, and he was part of the group that, that really wanted to air our grievances. Just to be clear, Tom, how many uh, cops did he punch? Uh, none. Zero. How many, how many windows did he break? Uh, zero. How many items did he steal? Not a one. How many crimes did he commit? Because to listen to those who want to lock these people up, they are literally arresting them for being there to express, in my view, their First Amendment rights to protest. And when they walk through doors held open by police officers and they think they're following lawful police officer orders that they are allowed to go in here, they don't think they're breaking any laws, for goodness sakes. That is the very definition now of political prisoner, unless I'm overstating it. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. Jenny Siraki is with Ohioans Defending Freedom as well. Jenny, um, you, you obviously are very familiar with this as well. Um, Trevor Kane is not the only one, but he is obviously a very shining example of people who have been targeted simply because of their political views, their political ideology. When Tom described this as, um, you know, when January 6th got out of control, a lot of people say it was a planned insurrection. It was not a planned insurrection unless the plan on be on the part of the federal officials who were part of that crowd that Tom just talked about uh, unless that was the plan it was not in plan, a planned insurrection by anybody least of all Trevor Kane right absolutely I was there that day I was very close to the building but luckily I did not go in you could tell that there was definitely some agitators there that did not look like Trump supporters they just looked very angry and very militant. Definitely the kind of people that I haven't seen around other Trump supporters. 
Tucker Carlson interviewed the um, uh, chief of the Capitol Police who was in charge that day. And it was the chief of police who is hardly a Trump supporter or a partisan observer or participant in all of this who said there were feds all throughout that crowd. So once again, we, we kind of have to ask ourselves, and you know, I know we're specifically trying to advocate for Trevor Kane, but bigger picture here, we have to ask ourselves if this was just a protest that got out of control and a riot ensued organically, or if this was a planned event in order to make those who supported President Trump and who were there to question the legitimacy and the validity of the election, um, if these people were set up. Yeah, it definitely seems like Something was not right there. Um, I definitely feel like they they tried to set something up. And now they're just using the laws as a means to crush dissenters. And they're taking laws out of context to punish people that supported the president. Trevor Kane, Tom Hack uh, said he, you know, he acknowledged entering the Capitol. As he said, he sang some songs. He heard flashbangs going off. He said in an interview in May of last year that he told the FBI that he saw some people punching doors and windows, but he didn't participate. In fact, he stayed in areas where anyone was allowed to tour. He did not go into those areas that got violent in the first place. One would think that the 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 intent here, if justice is the intent, uh, would be to look at people who have specifically actively did not participate that kind of is almost an assist because you know the crowd was so large that if everybody had participated in such ways they never would have gained control without some probably serious loss of life people like trevor kane who did things the right way in the peaceful way staying outside of the fray you would think they would actually be appreciated by law enforcement and by the justice system no i i, I totally agree and you know the 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 bottom line is you know, some people may be listening to the the call say, "Well, gosh, you know, Trevor did go into the into the building. Many people went into the building. You know, they get what they deserve." But but in in reality, what this is all about, I think, in a bigger from a bigger picture level, is they are looking to outlaw political dissent. They are trying to institute and, and perpetuate and, and get in place one one party rule. And if if they need to to misrepresent what people did. Then, then that's they're happy to do that, and they have a compliant media by and large that parrots what whatever the the federal government says, and and that's a real problem. But the, the bottom line is, if, if that's kind of your attitude, that you know people get what they deserve, just this is this is just the beginning. Whether it's it's January sixth or or climate change or some other crisis that that will be ginned up, um, they're they're after your rights, they're after your freedom of speech, they're after your livelihood, they're after the way you're, you you know really your your way of life. And so we, what we need to do is we need to band together and support people like Trevor Kane because sure shooting, we are going to be in a situation where we're down the road. Many more of us are going to be targeted, and we'll have to make a decision whether to comply or, or to resist and preserve the Constitution and our rights. Well, that's 100% true because we've already seen that. Many of us who didn't go to the Capitol but go to our school board meetings being targeted and being, you know, being treated as domestic terrorists or domestic extremists or whatever the case might be. So you're right. If we allow them to get away with this, uh, you know, with Trevor Kane and so many of the other political prisoners there, who else will they target? And the question is, all of us, if we dare be, um, you know, vocal in our support or in our beliefs about, uh, you know, what is going on in our country. So, Tom. Let's get to tomorrow. There's a very important and uh, uh, special fundraising event that's happening for Trevor. Can you tell us about it? Sure. So the, the event itself 
is uh, tomorrow, Friday the 28th, from 7 to 10. The location is Union House Bar and Restaurant, which is located at 2713 Brook Park Road in Cleveland. Again, 2713 Brook Park Road. The, the tickets are $30 at the door, <clears throat> and that $30 includes a uh, buffet and, and two drink tokens. Um, there will be 50-50 raffles, some, some uh, baskets that will be raffled off, and things like that. But, but ultimately, we, we need to be there. Trevor needs financial support. He needs moral support. And we all need to show up and be there and, and provide that to him. Because, frankly, you know, he's, he's on the front line right now. But uh, in the future, we're all going to be on the front line. We're going to be in Trevor's shoes uh, in the near future, in my opinion. And we need to band together because the more we resist, and the more we, we come together, the harder it's going to be <clears throat> to break the back of the American spirit and, frankly, the American Constitution. Yeah, and, and you know, there's an old adage about they came for me, you know, they came for this group, they came for that group, and I did nothing. And eventually they came for me, and there was no one left there to advocate for me. And I'm paraphrasing that and butchering it, but everyone understands the point. If we don't stand up for people like Trevor Kane and others at this time, who will be there to stand up for us? So uh, it's extraordinarily important that people get out there and support Trevor. Tom, uh, wh- what exactly is he facing? Do we know with the charges um, what kind of potential uh, penalty he is facing? I can help so answer I, that one, Jenny, Bob. Um, I actually have uh, another friend that had a lot of the same similar charges. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them were dropped except for this obstruction of an official proceeding. And sadly, he was still sentenced to four years in prison. For obstruction so really of an praying. official proceeding. Yes, four like years. I said, he no just punching, no breaking, no, no vandalizing, no threatening, no menacing, just obstructing an official proceeding and, and doing All that. All he by did the way, was go inside. All he did was follow a crowd inside when they thought they were allowed to go inside is, is, is the way that, that it appears. It's unbelievable. Uh, so people need to know that he does need funds for legal services, and he does need moral support, and that's what this is about tomorrow. Now, Jenny Siraki, you uh, also have something special, um, and that is to help encourage and support people to attend this event. You have some tickets, I understand? Uh, yes, my good friend Charlie Kalani um, offered to purchase four tickets to give away on the show. And uh, I did talk to Charlie about that as well, and I'm so appreciative of you playing uh, the point, uh, point man or point woman for that and, uh, and telling everybody what we're going to do is we're going to give two sets of two tickets away. Uh, we'll do it here in a moment uh, to, to a certain number of caller. And to, to claim these tickets, what do they have to do, Jenny Soraki? Um, all they would have to do is uh, give you their name, and they can give their name at the door. All they have to do is show up tomorrow at this event, give give the name, tell uh, tell whoever's working the door that you won the tickets on AM 1420, The Answer. These tickets were donated by Charlie Kalani, the politically incorrect mechanic, as he sometimes mm-hmm. is known by. So tomorrow, that door, of course, as you just heard, is at the Union House Bar and Restaurant, 2713 Brook Park, starts at 7 o'clock. Uh, and uh, we want people to come. Those who don't win the tickets, please buy the tickets. The money is going to a very important cause here. Let's stand up for Trevor Kane. Let's stand up for people being victimized by a very, very relentless government that is trying to silence dissent in all of its forms. And that means quieting all of us down. Tom Hack, Free Ohio Now uh, leader, and Jenny Siraki, Ohioans Defending Freedom, thank you both for your leadership in this. Um, we'll continue to spread the word, and we're going to give these tickets away in moments. Uh, and We'll make sure that you have the names, okay? 
All right, Bob, thanks again for, for the invitation, and, and I hope that a lot of people in your audience are, are there tomorrow in supporting Trevor. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Thanks Tom for having Mack us on the Jenna show, Saraki. Bob. It's a pleasure to have you both. Thank you both for what you're doing. All right, it's 10.52. Here's what we're going to do during this break. We're going to give these tickets away. Callers number 7 and 8. Callers 7 and 8. You will get two tickets each to the fundraiser tomorrow uh, in uh, Brook Park, or excuse me, in Cleveland on Brook Park for Trevor Kane. All you have to do is be caller 7 at 216-901-0945 or 8. Again, 216-901-0945. We will give these tickets away to you. And hopefully, if you don't win the tickets, you will buy them tomorrow in support of Trevor Kane. Let's all stand up for justice. That's what this is about, standing up for justice. And we'll be back. Do I have any winners? I do indeed. So congratulations. <clears throat> Charlie Junta. Charlie Junta was caller number seven. And Lois Biagiola? 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 I apologize if I'm getting it wrong. I probably am. But Lois, you know who you are because you were caller number eight. So you got the uh, pair of tickets. So two pair of tickets. And thank you once again to Charlie Kalani, the uh, politically incorrect mechanic uh, who uh, donated those tickets to tomorrow's um, fundraising event for for Trevor. Uh, If you want to talk about any or all of those things, our number three in front of us is uh, guest free. So that means we have plenty of opportunity. We have the Hunter story we talked about in uh, the first half hour of the program. We have issue one, which we talked about with Rob, uh, uh, Treasurer uh, uh, Robert Sprague in uh, our, I'm sorry, in the second half of our number one. We had Dr. Piper and a host of issues involving higher education uh, in our number two. Uh, and then obviously uh, this Trevor Kane situation, certainly something we can talk about with respect to January 6th. So we're going to open it up to a free-for-all kind of event in the last hour uh, at 216 one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. You pick the issue, and we will address it. Let's not make it free for all. All and don't call me and ask me how I think the Browns are going to do this year. But you understand if you can stay in the uh, news cycle, uh, we want to talk about it with you. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. I love the uh, responses yesterday from the uh, Black and Gay Press Secretary. Uh, when asked about Hunter Biden's plea deal falling apart, uh, Hunter Biden's uh, legal issues are a personal matter to him. In other words, nothing to do with that. Really? You sure about that? Nothing at all to do with pops. There's nothing there that is uh, going to involve uh, uh, Joe Biden, then vice president, now current president of the United States. And Hunter's in the basement with a silver spoon. Ukrainian bribes are going to be Ooh. there soon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. I'll put aside your 10%, Dad. I'll always have your 10%. Hunter's problems are his and his alone, right? And Hunter's in the basement with a silver spoon. The hookers and drugs, we're going to be there soon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. I'll be good and high by then, Dad. Yeah, I'll be good and high by then. People are asking where they can find the entire song, Hunters in the Basement. The answer is at whkradio.com. Click on the Hunters in the Basement tab uh, at the top of the page, or it's on my page on Always Right Radio. Download the song for 99 cents. Put it on your phone. Listen to it at your uh, at your leisure. It's the perfect parody for the reality of the news cycle. 1059, we'll be back after the top of the hour news.
This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Yeah. (laughs) Hour number three is underway. Uh, Good morning. 27th morning of the seventh month, year of our Lord, 2023. I'm sorry, I just saw and read a clip. <laughs> you remember the marketing of uh, of, of the COVID poison darts uh, that were not necessary for the overwhelming majority of the population and, in fact, should never, ever have been even allowed to be out, much less mandated in order to keep jobs or go to colleges or go to schools in person and all the other trash that they threw at us when this big pharma-led multi-billion dollar grift uh, was forced upon us. Remember the marketing campaign for the poison darts? Safe and effective. Safe and effective. Take these. They're safe and effective. Joe Biden, they're, they're safe and effective. Kamala Harris, they're safe and effective. Everybody. Celebrities, safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. Meanwhile, millions of adverse events that were not safe later, and quite frankly, hundreds of millions of ineffective shots later, uh, come to find out it, wasn't either, it was neither safe nor effective. It didn't prevent people from getting COVID at all. People who had one shot, two shots, three shots, four, they got all kinds of COVID and then a little more. They got COVID after their boosters. They got COVID again. When will it stop? Well, I'm bringing this up because they're having hearings right now in Congress on, quote, gender-affirming care and the notion of males being allowed to invade and destroy and dominate female sports. And Representative Mary Gay Scanlon said this out loud at this hearing. So let's start by setting the record straight. Gender-affirming care is safe and effective. (laughs) The same marketing campaign. You've got men and women, boys and girls, who have undergone, quote, gender-affirming care, who have never, ever, ever been able to restore normalcy to their bodies. Their bodies are destroyed forever. Infertility... Uh, never ever being if uh, women who, who who went around and blocked their own uh, uh, puberty and took cross sex hormones who will never be able to undo that and and get pregnant, 
Males who went ahead and took cross-sex hormones, stopped, stopped their own testosterone from developing, and took uh, uh, estrogen and other cross-sex hormones, never going to be able to father children. Men and women, boys and girls who underwent full-on bodily mutilation surgeries, whose genitalia now harvested from other parts of their body to create fake male and female genitalia, they're just rife with infection, discomfort, urinary, excretory, and sexual problems. They'll never, ever be the same again. They'll never, ever not be regular, frequent medical patients for all of their care going forward. The medical industry that continues to push this barbaric experimental surgery, and that's what it is, experimental surgery on confused young people, the overwhelming majority of the people who are being pushed into this transing of America are young people, the ones without any ability to give informed consent to this type of thing because they're, they're, they're minors. They're minors. They don't know anything. They don't know any better and, they, better, and they're easily influenced. And the medical profiteers, they're loving it. They're creating lifetime patients. Not the way you and I are lifetime patients where we go every year to have a physical or a medical checkup. No. We're talking about serious, serious medical problems that are going to impact them for the rest of their lives. And the doctors who are not doctors, who are performing these Frankensteinian, if I, if I can make up a word, experiments trying to take a bunch of different parts and throw them together and say, it's alive! They're, they're making, collectively, of course, billions off of this. Unbelievable. It's safe and effective. She used the term, the terms that were used to sell the profit jo- profit shots, the poison darts, whatever you want to call them. They weren't true then. So let's start by setting the record straight. Gender-affirming care is safe and effective. And they're not true now. Just listen to the scores of doctors who have examined these patients. They have, they have listed just the litany of problems that these medical problems these people are having. And, of course, the most egregious example of how safe and effective these gender-affirming care procedures are, Representative Scanlon, is the fact that teens who have transitioned, by the time they're in their 20s, have a 19 times more likely chance of committing suicide than people of the same age, that people who have not transitioned, regular people, normal people, people without confusion and psychological delusion. 19 times, that's not 19%, which is relatively small, it's one out of five. 19 times, that means double, triple, quadruple, quintuple, and all the way up to 19 times more likely to commit suicide. So if that's your definition of safe and effective, well, then we have a different definition of safety and effectiveness. It is barbaric pseudoscience is what it is. And that's something that detransitioner and detransition advocate, one of those who suffered through all of the things that I just described, Chloe Cole, testifying before Congress this morning, wanted everybody to know. came out as transgender in a letter I sent on the dining room table. My parents were immediately concerned. They felt like they needed to get outside help from medical professionals, but this proved to be a mistake. 
It immediately set our entire family down a path of ideologically motivated deceit and coercion. The gender specialist I was taken to, taken to see, told my parents that I needed to be put on puberty-blocking drugs right away. They asked my parents a simple question: Would you rather have a dead daughter or a living transgender son? The choice was enough for my parents to let their guard down. It is exactly what they do. They frame it in such ways that make you feel like you are not doing what's right by your child, that you are going to contribute to your own child's suicide if their confusion, if their mental delusion, if their psychological condition, if their gender dysphoria is not supported and affirmed. When the reality is supporting and affirming gender confusion and gender dysphoria and psychological delusion, affirming it is the worst thing in the world you can do. I have not talked about this in really a ton since the month of groom ended and we got into July. Of course, all of the month of groom, we were focused on this. But I will remind you of something. The entire notion of transgenderism is mythical. It's a hoax. It's, it's garbage. It's trash. It doesn't exist. The only thing that does exist which is in less than 1% of the general population, is a psychological, psychological condition called gender dysphoria so exceedingly rare when someone's mental, psychological faculties cannot reconcile themselves to what their body and their DNA and their cells all are. It is so rare. And as you probably know, that in the United States of America, and quite frankly, worldwide, psychological conditions are treated exclusively with psychological therapy, psychotherapy, not bodily mutilation. That is just simply wrong. And so what do I mean when I say then that this entire transgenderism thing is, is mythical, it's a, it's a hoax, it's, it's a joke? The existence the mere existence and the claim of some individuals as being non-binary is what makes you throw the whole thing out into the trash. It's one thing for someone to say, look, I was born a male, but in my head I've got these feelings that feel like somehow, some way, I've got you know, female tendencies in that less than 1% of the general population suffering from gender dysphoria. That is one thing, to say I'm one or the other, I don't think I'm the right one. Deal with that psychologically. But when somebody says, you know, I'm actually, you know, I was born and assigned female, but I feel male. Sometimes. And other times I feel female, other times, so I'm kind of a little bit of both. I'm not male nor female. I'm non-binary. When you get into that crap when you get into that nonsense now you know it is all being made up because then the next person says well i'm not non-binary i'm multiple multiple personality in other words multiple gendered some days i'm male some days i'm female some days i'm neither i'm uh, some days i'm both I'm, I'm i'm dual sexed in other days you know i'm actually more like a spirit, more like an animal spirit. What we're talking about now is personality. Everyone has a personality. 
your personality may be, you know, is obviously going to be unique to you, but there may be people like you, but it's a personality choice. And sometimes those personalities cross over into disorders, but they are in no way, shape, or form supposed to be quote-unquote affirmed or legitimized when they involve bodily mutilation and and compl- chemical castration, chemical and um, medical, meaning by use of medicines, pharmacological, those things should not be used to, to help someone who's got just an oddball personality physically harm themselves. And that's what it is. It comes down to personality. I don't believe in anything having to do with the transgender movement. It is all social contagion, intentional grooming, and psychological indoctrination and brainwashing of impressionable people, particularly impressionable young people. If they all stayed within the binary and said, look, there's two sexes in the world, in all of human existence, quite frankly, in all of mammalian existence, there's two sexes, there are male and female, and if I feel like I'm the wrong one, but I'm the other one, let's have a conversation, I guess, about your psychological confusion, which should be treated with psychological therapy. If you say I'm one, but not not one, but I'm the other, and you stay within the binary, it's fine. The minute you say, "Well, I'm really kind of neither. I just exist." Never mind the fact that I'm XX chromosomed, and every single cell in my body, every single strand of DNA in my body is female. I'm not that nor male. I'm just kind of out there. Or the minute you say I'm both, I mean, I legitimately am both, and I'm not talking about people with birth defects. I'm not talking about people with birth defects who are born with both sets of genitalia, which is an exceedingly even more rare than gender dysphoria condition. Birth defects don't define our species or our sexuality or our sexual identities. Birth defects are different. I've said this on many a program. There are people born in this world on a fairly, I don't say regular, but more than just you know one every 10 million people, but people born with less than five fingers on each hand or more than five fingers on each hand. It does not change the fact that human beings, by their nature, have five fingers on each hand. That's reality. There are some people who are born together, conjoined twins. That, that does not change the reality that human beings are individual bodies with their own individual organs and own individual heads not shared with another. Birth defects or birth anomalies do not get to define who and what the human body and the human being is and, and are. That's reality. The idea that we can believe and should believe that people are are completely multiple or no genders at all or are animal gendered or any of these other things and to ascribe that to anything other than they just have oddball personalities is ludicrous. The idea that there are right now hearings being held on Capitol Hill about people's oddball personalities is astounding. The idea that females should lose their identity because some males have oddball personalities and say, no, I really think I'm a chick is astounding. The idea that women should lose their spaces of privacy, locker rooms, shower rooms, bathrooms, to males who have oddball personalities is incomprehensible. The idea that males should be able to infiltrate women's sports by nature of their oddball personalities. And my friends, I'm sorry, that's exactly what it is. 
In over 99% of the cases, I will believe that. I will die on that hill. It's a personality, not an actual gender or sexual identity. It is a personality. And for some, it is little more than performance art. C. Smith, comma, Sam, for an example. It's 1126. We'll be back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. I love that uh, commentary by Dennis Prager that you just heard in that promo. It is so spot on. The idea that there can be transgenderism but not transracialism is so completely backwards and upside down at the same time. It really is. I mean, a person can be born with a black parent and a white parent, be biracial. Maybe those parents were born of, I don't know, maybe the black parent had a one parent that was uh, Indian in descent and another one that was uh, uh, picking ethnicity. And the other. Race can be such a hodgepodge uh, because you can be indeed made up of many different things. Gender is no such hodgepodge. There's male and there's female, and that's it. And they don't blend into a little bit of female, a little bit of male in my mixture, so I'm by um, a gender or wrong gendered or both gendered or triple gendered or whatever other crap they come up with. But the idea of transracialism is so offensive, and that's such an affront to the, to the radical left. The idea of a... A white person saying, like Rachel Dolezal, remember how mocked she was for identifying as black? She took her straight white hair, I mean white person hair, and, 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 and got it uh, permed as, into as tight of, of, of a kinky curl as she could possibly get it to try to make it look like it was moderately African-American style hair. She darkened her skin. She applied for jobs uh, as a minority, you know, as, as if she was African-American or a, or a partial I mean, and people flipped out. Oh, my gosh. She's an, a white person pretending to be a black person. I remember I flipped out. I mocked her incessantly when she burst onto the scene because she was kind of like one of the very first, if not the first. The idea of a white person pretending to be black was just a crazy idea. But now, just a few short years later, a male pretending to be a female is Whoa, that is so inclusive. Your diversity makes me so proud. Wait, what? A man putting on women's makeup and wearing women's heels and women's wigs and saying, I'm a female is not. What's wrong with you? It's you really are female. You identify as one. If you're a trans female, you are a female. If you're a trans, remember, trans women are real women. It's one of, how about trans black or trans racially is real black and real racially uh, uh, identifiable. With, with the, what Dennis Prager says in that promo there, in that segment he did on his show, is spot on. Why is transracialism offensive and transgenderism is celebrated? Why is blackface a recipe for disaster and full forever cancellation, but woman face putting on that makeup 
And pretending to be a female is just glorious. Isn't it wonderful how brave and courageous he is? Oh, I'm sorry. She is with the new pronouns, or they is, or or Z or Zay is. Isn't it wonderful? No, it's not wonderful. It's it's maniacal. It's lunacy. <laughs> it's ridiculous. That's a great point by Dennis Prager. Um, I want to uh, make a quick announcement. The conversation I had before with Tom Hack and Jenny Siraki. Tom wanted me to remind you that there is, in addition to the fundraiser tomorrow night at the Union House on Brook Park Road in Cleveland, a $30 per ticket includes a buffet and two drink tickets to raise money for the legal defense of Trevor Kane. In addition to that, which I strongly encourage you to attend if you can, um, there is a Give, Send, Go uh, fund that has been started for Trevor Kane's defense. GiveSendGo.com. Just search for Trevor Kane. It's spelled just like you think it would be. Trevor Kane, C-A-I-N. Uh, do a GiveSendGo.com search for Trevor Kane and see if you can please donate to his legal defense. We need to stand up for him, like I said, because sooner or later, somebody's going to have to stand up, stand up when they come for us, right? Uh, okay, um, let's do um, Joe in Westlake. Joe, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Joe, go ahead. Good morning, Bob. It's incredible you have to explain to the uh, public the difference between male and female. How did we get here? I think James Lindsay's book, Cynical Theories, has a lot to say about that. The cultural Marxists started this as a long march through our institutions, a purposeful attack on psychology. A culture needs legendary myths and heroes to guide roles. Young people need guidance about building themselves, building their personality. Our culture hasn't been giving people that. Here's here's something else I'd like to say. Okay. Um, there's a step beyond the trans thing that's even more controversial, but it, even more important, which is, you know what? I don't think the so-called LGBTQ people are born that way. I think it's always been hedonism. I think the concept of born that way was only... Uh, established in the past 30 years, and that's what grew out of trans. And I think that was a purposeful development by those cultural Marxists. And if you if you watch the film 300, it shows the pagan uh, military empire uh, Persians attacking the Greeks, and they they had body mutilation. They had so-called binary people in their army. The a collapse of an empire, a, a military empire, and this insane destruction of identity, it all goes together. Thanks. Thank you for the call, Joe. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, um, we could have a discussion and do a show, a full show on, because there have been conferences and, and you know, debate forums held about whether or not, you know, it is, um, quote-unquote, born that way, just for even homosexuality, much less the transgenderism issue. Um, and, you know, science has been studying and searching and trying to find the quote-unquote gay gene that would make somebody uh, homosexual versus not, and they have come up empty. But the discussion has been going on forever, and we could do it too and never get anywhere. There are some people who I think, by virtue of, of what I know about them, where I can just see this wasn't a choice for them, they almost feel like it was, an infl- it was uh, something that was inflicted upon them. And they they wish they they weren't the way that they were. I cannot imagine people who chose to be that way wishing that it wasn't upon them when it was their choice. There are some that I would at least say, let's have this discussion over. Bigger picture, though, 
this is cultural. You're right. I have not yet read James Lindsay's book. I would like to, and I probably will, but I'm glad you brought it up again because I've heard other people talk about it. And maybe once I do, we can, we can pick that conversation up again. But uh, it is cultural. Thank you, my friend. Donna in uh, North Olmstead. Hi, Donna. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Hi. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate you taking my call. Um, talking about cultural, um, we in North Olmstead, we have a networking for education group, and we're putting on a, a seminar or an education forum, I guess, called What's Really Going On in Our Schools. And we tend to dial in on the pre-K through 12 students more than the college. I appreciate Dr. Piper because he's right on with what he's doing, but we also have issues in our public schools right now, and SEL is there, DEI is there, our pronouns, our gender identity, all of this will be covered in hopes of not only informing people who don't totally understand the picture, but also giving them the opportunity to ask questions. Um, We have a um, current State Board of Education member as one of our presenters. We also have a professor from Kent State. Um, that understands all of these terms. In fact, he actually teaches classes in this. And then we have a young man from Medina um, who is just an expert speaker and is only a junior. I can't believe it. But there is hope, and um, he represents our hope at the end of our talk. So we're asking um, that people would consider coming on August 5th to our presentation. August 5th. Where will that be again, Donna? It's going to be at the North Olmstead Evangelical Friends Church. It's on Great Northern between Butternut Ridge and 480. Okay, and uh, and that's August 5th at what time? Did I miss that? No, I didn't tell you. Sorry. Uh, from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Okay, sometimes I miss things that people say when I'm trying to plan my next thing that I want to, I want to ask about. So, uh, So I'm glad you get that information. And you know what? This is a thank you for sharing that with us and thank you for doing it because uh, I think this is something that should be repeated at schools in school districts uh, all across uh, all across the state and all across the country. These questions need to be addressed head on and I'm glad you're going to have wonderful presenters in an open forum to discuss these things because the future of our culture rests in the young people that we are in educating or indoctrinating right now. And if we don't if we don't act right now, it will be too late. So I'm so glad that you're going to have that forum and I appreciate you sharing it with us. No, thank you very much. If they want to contact us, it's networkingforeducation at gmail.com. Networkingforeducation at gmail.com. I've got it, Donna. Thank you for the call. Thank you to my wonderful guests today. Thank you to my terrific team, and thanks to you for being a part of it. Be well, be safe, stay free. See you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.